Are food fascist, teetotaling do-gooders, priggish moralists, and other boneheaded bureaucrats turning America into a nation of children? The author of Nanny State thinks big government is crippling the American people. And former Majority Leader Tom DeLay will join us today to discuss the possibility of a third-party candidate. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. If you want this economy to continue to grow, and if you want to reinforce the fact uh, that uh, we've got entrepreneurship is strong and people are working, don't raise taxes. Don't raise taxes. That's President Bush today speaking to reporters. He has cut taxes, and he is concerned that the Democrat-controlled Congress and Senate want to raise taxes or eliminate his tax cuts. Here's President Bush on his administration's record on jobs. We've had 49 consecutive months of job creation, and that's the longest uninterrupted job growth on record for our country. The economy, Penna, has been sound. It's been solid for several years. We've had low inflation, low interest rates, and low unemployment. I think we forget sometimes how good the economy has been. People get a little stagnant, and I think they... Uh, spoiled. They, they get spoiled, rotten. They haven't lived through some of the things that uh, some of us have lived through, or they've forgotten conveniently. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, this talk about a third-party presidential candidate that's uh, been out there, uh, people are looking at James Dobson and other pro-family leaders and asking, are they threatening the unity of the Republican Party? And uh, this is really a question that I think we're going to have to discuss, uh, this idea of a third party, uh, purity versus practicality. Should pro-lifers actually look at Rudy Giuliani and just say he's inevitable? Uh, he's pro-abortion. He'd be at the top of both parties' tickets. So we're going to discuss all of this with former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay a little bit later in the program. He's the author of No Retreat, No Surrender. Also, another question we're going to ask is, should government save us from trans fats, from dodgeball, from toy guns? You know, what's the problem with letting people kind of pursue their lives uh, with certain risks that are out there? We're going to talk with Colorado radio host David Harsanyi. He's author of a new book called Nanny State. All right. Now I want to open up the phone lines right now and ask you this question. How you feel about the Muslim Day at Six Flags? The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. Should we be celebrating Islamic culture. 
And this goes all the way to the White House. It's not just Six Flag. President Bush said yesterday at the White House, the Muslim holiday Ramadan, it's a time for celebration. We need to celebrate Islamic culture. Ramadan is also a good time for Americans of all faiths to reflect on the values we hold in common, including love of family, gratitude to the Almighty, devotion to community, and a commitment to religious liberty. Now, when President Bush should be praised, we heap it on here, but uh, I think, uh, Penna, here's a time when we've got to say the president is flat wrong. And I want to know what the listeners think. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Are you ready to celebrate Islamic culture, Islamic culture where women are degraded, they're treated as property, uh, they can't even show their face in public, uh, a culture where you cannot convert or you face the death penalty, are we wanting to celebrate Islamic culture? And can you believe the president actually closed out talking about religious liberty? You cannot preach the gospel in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, much less Iran, and not even Afghanistan, which we've liberated, uh, so to speak. In fact, we heard when uh, one of the Muslims there converted last year, he was about to be killed. And um, is this something we want to celebrate, Islamic culture? Call us at 800-881-9270. President Bush went on to say, though uh, he does want to fight the terrorists. We say to them, you don't represent Muslims, you do not represent Islam, and you will not succeed. Now, generally, of course, on this show, we're against liberals of any kind, but uh, if you're going to be Muslim, I'd rather you be a liberal Muslim, and that's what the president is talking about. He's saying, look, most Muslims are not terrorists, and I think I would affirm that statement. Your average Muslim is not a terrorist, apparently, or we'd have a lot more terrorists than we do, and we can be glad for that. If you're going to be a Muslim, don't be a radical Muslim, a terrorist Muslim. But is it true to say that we should be celebrating uh, a culture uh, which um, is not, in my view, culture at all. Somebody says this is a clash of civilization. civilizations. This is a clash between civilization and barbarism and a backward way of thinking. And you still see it in Saudi Arabia, our so-called allies. You still see it in Egypt. Is this what we want to celebrate in America? Evelyn on the line from Fort Worth. Evelyn, thank you for calling. Uh, what's your view? I agree with you 100%. Um, I've learned enough about the Muslim religion uh, trying to study the Koran, and I've met some of them myself personally. And uh, I agree 100 percent. This is, this is not something we should do. Uh, according to knowing the Bible uh, like we should know, um, it, it, it explains to us very clearly. People have too much of their own opinion, and, and they're not listening to what God's saying. Thank and, you, uh, Evelyn. Thank you so much for that call, and um, I think there are a lot of people out there that have the same impulse that you do. You know, we do live in a country, as President Bush said, that uh, allows freedom of religion, and anyone who wants to be a Muslim here can be one, but there's a difference between that and celebrating the religion. Now, I know he's trying to walk a line here, and it's Ramadan, and he's trying to acknowledge that, but I think he goes overboard in being positive about Islam, because we have to remember that that's a religion 
when you get down to chapter and verses we did with Bill Federer earlier in the week, we find out that we're really the enemy to mm-hmm. to them if mm-hmm. you if they really believe what the Koran says in many cases. Yes, years ago Richard Weaver wrote, Ideas have consequences. And we talk on this show about the Judeo Christian worldview. That is the foundation for our culture. We don't want a church state, we don't want a state church. We don't want that, but we should acknowledge that the foundation for our culture and our government is the Judeo Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting in our worldview, there is freedom for the Muslim to talk about Allah anywhere he wants to. And in the public square, he can mention anywhere he wants to, he can try to evangelize. Uh, the atheist is free. Richard Dawkins can write his book on atheism. But wait a minute. Where the Islamic worldview prevails, there is no freedom in Saudi Arabia for a Christian to speak in public or to convert. Right. Where the atheistic worldview prevails in China or in the old Soviet Union, there's no freedom for the Christian there either. So the Christian worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview, provides an open marketplace of tolerance, marketplace of ideas, and that's why that's the American way, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. If we celebrate Islamic culture, we're actually going to celebrate intolerance. We've got Charles on the line from Dallas. Charles, thank you for calling. What's your view? Charles, are you there? Well, let's move on to Daniel from Mesquite. Daniel, thank you for for calling. Uh, Daniel, are you on the line? Yes, this is Daniel. Uh, Connor from Mesquite, Texas. Uh, I got a problem with the uh, the religion uh, coming to the schools and everywhere that they need, they want it to be. I mean, isn't that why we're we're battling them right now? We're you know we're, we're going. Our sons and daughters are dying on the other side of the world for, and now we're allowing this here on the streets. Does it, it doesn't make sense? Well, Charles, I do think you're right. Um, even our allies like Saudi Arabia are funding these madrasas, this Wahhabi school of thought, uh, Islamic thought, and it is a, it is violent. It is violent, and there are these terrorists came from Saudi Arabia, for instance. We don't want to be celebrating uh, Islamic culture um, because, again, just what kind of a world do you want? That's maybe another way to say it, uh, Mr. President. Do you want a world where women are treated as second-class citizens? Do you want a world where there is no freedom of religion? That is Islamic culture today. There's no denying that. You know, you mentioned earlier, and I just want to kind of elaborate a little bit on what's going on at Six Flags Over Texas next weekend on October 14th. There is a group uh, that's called the Islamic Circle of North America that will be using Six Flags to hold its Muslim Family Day. Now, there are other groups that are going out to protest this. And in a sense, I guess we could talk about whether they have the perfect right to use Six Flags. But I would be quite offended if I were going to Six Flags as just a, a regular, normal family, and all of a sudden it's being taken over by the Muslims. <laughs> Bob on the line from Terrell. Bob, thank you for holding. What's your view? Yes, Dr. Johnson, I think it's wrong to... Uh be uh, celebrating uh, a day for the uh, Muslims and, and everything because it's like a book I'm reading, uh, Letters to Al-Qaeda. It's, uh, if you even have a friend or make friends with the uh, people of the Jewish faith and the uh, Christian faith, you are to be uh, cut off and uh, left, left out to dry. And uh, pretty soon it's going to be where they're going to be rewriting our Constitution. Thank you, Bob, so much. I remember our troops in the first Gulf War were not allowed to show the cross. 
were not allowed to have their Bibles out in the open? Is this right. the kind of world we want when we tolerate um, intolerance? And um, in the end, we find out we don't have the freedoms that we've been enjoying all along. And on the line from Arlington, and thank you for calling. What's your view? Well, this country has gotten to the point where we're trying to be so politically correct that they let everybody, you know, and, and it's freedom for everybody except Christians. Mm. You know, we can't pray in school, we can't do this, we can't mm. do that. But we're sitting back and we're letting everybody else have all of these rights because, you know, it's freedom of expression. Let me ask you this question, Anne. When is the last time you remember the president making that kind of statement about the Almighty, about family values, about religious liberty at Christmas or Easter? Well, he turns on the tree and uh, maybe does an Easter egg roll, but to make that kind of a statement, or for the Associated Press to pick that up and put it out on the wire services, that is, this is special treatment, really, for Islam, for the president to say, all right, we're going to celebrate this holy season, we're going to talk about family values, we're going to talk about the Almighty, we're going to talk about tolerance. I don't think that really makes a lot of sense. Charles is back on the line. Charles, thank you for calling. What's your view? Yes, uh, the president said that that, uh, they, like us, worship the Almighty. Yeah, that's right. What do you think of that? It's not the first time that this man has said that. And the Bible tells me we, they will be known by their fruits. And I firmly believe he is not a Christian, and that is the very reason why I will not fall for the Republicans' bait-and-switch again. Well, now, Charles, I would say that uh, when it says you will know them by their fruits, that's talking about our lifestyle, that's talking about our the, the love, the charity we would show, the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, joy, all of those fruits of the Spirit— or false teachers. I don't think President Bush is around. He he doesn't propose to be a theology teacher, but um, but I do agree that what he said was wrong, and I think that's your fundamental and point. And it's really not true. Uh, we don't worship the same Almighty. Allah is not Jehovah. Allah is not a father. Allah is not a God of love. Muslims do not believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They do not believe in a trinity. In Islam, you're saved by works. In Christianity, you're saved by grace because Jesus died on a cross and rose again for our sins. As a payment for our sins, you're saved by faith, trusting Christ, believing in Christ. That's the difference. Allah is not Jehovah. This is not the same God. When we come back, the hammer, Tom DeLay, is going to talk about the possibility of a third-party candidate for the Republican Party. And can we expect those tax hikes if Hillary becomes the next president? If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. 
Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. If you want this economy to continue to grow and if you want to reinforce the fact uh, that uh, we've got entrepreneurship is strong and people are working, don't raise taxes. Don't raise taxes. That's President Bush speaking today to reporters because he has kept inflation low. He has kept interest rates low. He's kept unemployment low. We remember uh, the latter 70s, and you had double-digit inflation, double-digit unemployment, double-digit interest rates, and uh, President Bush has been able to keep the economy humming along at a very good pace. And uh, But he's concerned that the Democrats controlling Congress, controlling the Senate, uh, are going to change all of that. And so we were critical of the president in the last segment about this kind of uh, Islamic um, love fest that he's promoting. But uh, he's been sound and solid on the economy. And we're going to talk in just a minute with former um, House Majority Leader Tom DeLay. He's going to be calling in. But uh, we want to set up this segment right now because people are talking about who will the next president be and what are the ramifications? What's at stake, Penna? And I think the first peg or the first leg of this three-legged stool is Hillary Clinton. She has 33 points ahead of Barack Obama. She's pulling away in the fundraising. She's pulling away in the polls. And uh, Hillary has said that she is going to eliminate the Bush tax cuts. She is going to eliminate uh, the capital gains reduced tax rate. It'll be uh, you know, conservatives want to eliminate capital gains taxes altogether. It's 15%. Mm-hmm. And it was already eliminated to that. Well, well, she's going to eliminate that and let it go back as straight income at 30% right. for most of these people. So higher taxes, she's cutting the tax cuts, and she'll uh, really be taxing capital gains at a very high rate. That's going to put the economy in the tank. You're going to see a massive sell-off in the stock market. But I'm more concerned about what she's going to do to the moral fabric of this country. Now, here's Hillary Clinton in her own words speaking to the human rights committee or council. It's the gay and lesbian uh, political action group. Here's a, an explanation she made about don't ask, don't tell in the military, gays in the military. I think the very simple answer is we didn't have a chance with the Republican Congress and George Bush as president. And uh, I want to get it done when I'm president. I want to do it and have it be successful. I don't want to try in a Republican Congress with a very negative president and have it defeated. All right, so what she's explaining is why, when her husband was president, that they didn't normalize homosexuality in the military. And they had it settled for the don't ask, don't tell policy. And she says the reason why we didn't normalize homosexuality in the military is that Republicans were controlling the Congress and the Senate. We just couldn't get it. But she says, I'm going to do it. When I'm elected, I'm going to do it. So you can know this. She's made the promise she will normalize homosexual relations in the military. Is this what we want? And I think that's the first leg of the three-legged stool. That is, that is the cold reality we face 
if Hillary wins this election. Well, when it comes to the issue of homosexuality, don't ask, don't tell is part of it. She's also gone before the human rights campaign and promised that she would stay, as she already has, against a federal marriage amendment defining marriages between one man and one woman. And she's also been at these uh, debates of the presidential candidates before the, the homosexual groups. And she said that she would push for domestic partnership for all sorts of benefits for homosexuals. And those benefits for homosexuals usually trample upon the rights of other people. For instance, this ENDA bill that's been debated in Congress, what it does is say you've got to hire people, whether they're transsexual, homosexual, lesbian, and you can't fire them. They can come and bring a lawsuit against you if they think that uh, you're discriminating because of their sexual orientation. This is the kind of thing that Hillary Clinton has been very clear she supports. And I think we've got to be clear in our own minds what we're going to get if she's elected. Okay, so the second leg in this three-legged stool is what is the alternative, really? What is the alternative? And right now, apparently, apparently, leading in the polls, leading in fundraising is Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City. And the problem with Rudy Giuliani is this. Uh, He's, in terms of governing, been for the normalization of homosexuality across the board. Mm -hmm. And not only that, he's pro-choice. He believes in a woman's fundamental right to an abortion, to kill an unborn child, and for public funding of abortion. And uh, a lot of conservatives have said in the last week, you know, if Giuliani is the candidate, we just can't go there. And here's conservative activist Richard Vigory making that case. If the Republican Party is going to nominate a man such as Rudy Giuliani, who's wrong on every single social issue, wrong on the Second Amendment, and it's pretty much a blank slate on everything else, maybe it's time to put the Republican Party out of its misery. Okay, Dr. James Dobson wrote that editorial yesterday in the New York Times. Basically, he was at the meeting on Saturday in Salt Lake City of the Republican leaders, conservative Christian leaders as well, saying, look, if the party nominates a pro-abortion, pro-homosexual marriage candidate, we don't think we can go along if that's the nominee, someone like Giuliani. And uh, again, here's Giuliani in his own words. It would be okay to repeal. It would be okay also if a strict constructionist judge viewed it as precedent. Okay, he's talking about Roe versus Wade. It would be okay to repeal or it would be okay uh, if, if not. He said actually both in the full interview. So he's kind of left the door open that he might appoint conservative judges like Alito, like Roberts, and that uh, they might overturn Roe Wade. So he's given a little bit of hope there. But there was a major story today, and uh, you've got it right there, Penna. Tell us about the judges that Giuliani appointed in fact. Well, we pulled this. It's actually a story from earlier this year, uh, but it has to do with the really left-leaning judges that he appointed in New York. Now, we have to remember that this was New York, and so, you know, his choices were probably mostly Democrats. But he did, uh, uh, it was reviewed by Politico, the website, uh, reviewing 75 judges that he appointed to three of New York State's lower courts. Democrats outnumbered Republicans by more than eight to one, so he didn't really try hard to find Republicans. One of the appointments was an officer of the International Association of Lesbian and Gay Judges, for instance. Another one ruled that the state law banning liquor sales on Sundays was unconstitutional because it was insufficiently secular. Another one was an abortion rights supporter, made it to the federal bench in part because New York's uh, Senator Chuck Schumer said he liked her ideology. So Giuliani's 
record is not really Roberts Alito type judges. Now, this is really the only thing pro-lifers have to cling on to with him. Uh, we've also heard that he may uh, support parental notification for abortion. So, you know, but that's it. That's all we have with all the other candidates for president. The rest of them are basically pro-life. Elizabeth is on the line from Dallas. Elizabeth, thank you for calling. What's your view of this scenario? Yes, thank you very much for letting me speak. Um, As much as I do not want Democrats in power over this country, I think that if it came down to choosing between a Democrat and Giuliani, I think I would have to go with a third-party candidate because um, I think that that would be a compromise to vote for him and take a chance, and I think that compromise has gotten this country to where it is today. Thank you, Elizabeth. You know, there's just a lot of Christians that can't, you know, are just not going to vote for a Republican or a Democrat that want to normalize homosexual marriage and um, are all right with abortion on demand, a million babies per year uh, killed. They just don't want any part of that, and they just cannot, even for the sake of political expediency, uh, go for that. So let's talk about now the third leg of this stool. That is that here's the situation. You've got Hillary as a possibility, Giuliani as a possibility, or then a third option which could be, according to this meeting on Saturday, that uh, pro-lifers, Democrats, and Republicans come together around a third-party kind of a candidate. And that is an option. But, folks, I've got to tell you, the history is pretty clear on this. If you're talking about um, Ralph Nader helping to defeat uh, Al Gore, or you're talking about um, old Ross Perot, our local guy, Mm -hmm. helping to defeat uh, George Bush, or Teddy Roosevelt, Uh, really defeating the Republicans many years ago because he started the Bull Moose Party when he tried to become president a second time. Third-party candidates generally do the opposite, you know, in in fact of what they want to accomplish in winning the election and taking power. So that's probably not the best option if there is a better one, a better one. And what would that be, Penna? Well, I think most of the people who are saying this really don't want to go for a third party. What they want is to see somebody else advance in the Republican Party who is pro-life. And we are in a primary process. We are at the time now where Republicans get to choose who they want to represent them. And I'm just amazed. I'm really amazed that a pro-life party is uh, has as its front runner right now a pro-abortion candidate, and it tells me that either people aren't paying that much attention, that the pro-lifers aren't being called in these polls, or something. But it's really, I think, a wake-up call when these leaders get together and say, "Listen, this is important enough that Christians, conservatives, and pro-lifers need to either say get out of the party." or get to work and get somebody that's pro-life Get to work. I like that because, folks, right now is the time for primary activity. Mm-hmm. Let's remember that. This choice is not forced upon Christians now, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. Now is the primary season when pro-life, pro-family advocates should be agitating in their party, mm-hmm giving, campaigning for pro-life candidates. So it might be Huckabee. It might be Thompson for you. It might be Duncan Hunter. But right now is the time to work within your party, if you happen to be a Republican, to try to get a pro-life candidate up in the front. And if that fails, then you might be forced to make such a decision in the general election. But no need to talk about that now any further, in my view. That is, work for a pro-life, pro-family candidate. Give campaign, whatever it is you want to do, uh, whatever your way is of getting involved as salt and light. But the primary process is designed exactly with this kind 
of a decision in mind. When we come back, should government save us from trans fats, dodgeball, and toy guns? We're going to talk to the author of a book called The Nanny State. It's about big government. And we had so many calls from so many of you. I think Tom DeLay was blocked on getting in on the phone line. Maybe he'll call later. We'll see. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The American people expect their government to take action to protect them from further attack. And that's exactly what this government is doing, and that's exactly what we'll continue to do. All right, that's President Bush saying that the American people expect the government to take action to protect us from terrorists, terrorists that want to take human life. That's actually a constitutional kind of a responsibility. The government is supposed to protect us from physical enemies, foreign and domestic, that would uh, deprive us of the right to life. But let me ask you a question. Is the government supposed to protect us from trans fats, dodgeball, and toy guns? You know, right now, our government is paying for prescription medication. Our government is paying for retirement. Our government is paying for college. What do you think about that? And there are people promising now, cradle to the grave, health care, $5,000 savings bonds for every uh, baby. Penn, our next guest is going to talk about all this. Well, his name is David Harsani, and he's written a new book called Nanny State. And uh, David is also a columnist for the Denver Post, and uh, this book is fascinating. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Is the government supposed to save us from ourselves? I mean, uh, from obesity, from uh, getting hurt on the playground, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I, I don't believe so. I think the government's job might be to convince us not to hurt ourselves or to eat too much or to smoke. But I think when they jump the line from convincing to coercion, uh, they're undermining our freedom, our free will, and the Constitution. You know, it was amazing to me uh, when I heard the news that in New York City, which is probably one of the nanniest cities around, that they were actually banning trans fats in restaurants. What about it? Well, I'm actually from New York, lived there over 30 years, and it is one of the most nanniestic places on earth, and that has a lot to do with Mayor Bloomberg, who's there now. Trans fat bans um, are a surrender of convenience by some people. They They say, well, you know, it's not such a bad thing if we don't eat trans fats. I think what they're not taking into account is that now government can come in and ban any unhealthy ingredient it feels like. Uh, Trans fats are unhealthy, but they're certainly not poison, no more than many other ingredients. So this leads us to a slippery slope, I think, that's uh, coming. Uh, David, uh, let me ask you this. You've been writing for the Denver Post some, and uh, I used to live in Aurora nearby, Mm -hmm. and you've got the People's Republic of Boulder just up the highway (laughs) a little bit. Give us your assessment of that town and those city regulations. Well, you know, Boulder, like Berkeley and Ann Arbor and other sort of uh, very uh, left-wing places like that, uh, they have a sort of utopian view of things, I guess. And, you know, the funny thing is you could probably smoke a a marijuana cigarette walking down the street there, but not a regular (laughs) cigarette. Um, No tobacco in, in the open anywhere. Is that right? I'm pretty sure most places abandoned yeah, publicly uh, yeah. In, in, in Boulder. I'm not exactly sure what their regulations are. But you know what? A good, what's good about Boulder is we can see what's coming for the rest of the country when we see what they're doing up there because typically we're a few years behind 
as far as uh, sort of collectivist uh, attitudes. Mm. David, let me ask you this, because some people might respond to the emphasis of your book, you know, No Nanny State, and they say, wait a minute, we have 17,000 people killed on the highways every year from drunk driving, or we have... um, uh, this lead problem from China now, all of these toys, and some people would say, well, what, isn't the government there to protect us from some of these dangers? How do you balance that? Well, sometimes it's a hazy line, and I would say that the lead stuff and the toys, that's a, that's a hidden hidden danger that, that consumers didn't know about. That's something mm-hmm. the government right, should protect right. us from. Uh, we, should, uh, we should expect transparency and, and things like that. Um, yes, many people do die on the roads, and uh, that number's come down from years ago when right. MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, started and educated the public and police on those issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is now is that some people will always break the law, unfortunately, and will always do things that endanger other people. So the frustration has led groups like MAD to institute laws that collectively punish all of us for the misdeeds of a few. Often they're counterproductive, and they're not really helping with the problem. So I think that that's where we are now in the nanny state. Moreover, we can't expect to live in a perfect world, or we'd all be driving 10 miles per hour with helmets on our heads on the highways. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to David Harsani. He's written the book Nanny State. David, uh, what do you make of the health care proposals that are coming down the pike now, uh, universal health care called uh, choices plan. I think it's Hillary Clinton's uh, choices. But then the next line, she says, everybody will be required to have health insurance. What do you think of that? Well, it's very Orwellian when people give names to things that are the opposite of what they are. Uh, as far as, you know, I, I, I'm against, I, I'm a big believer in the free market and competition. And I think that we need more of it, not less, as far as health care goes. But as far as the nanny state goes, this is an awful thing for the nanny state in the sense that now we'll collectively be in charge of each other's health. Once someone's paying for my health and my children's health care, they can essentially be part of the decision-making process to a micro level then because uh, they're going to say we're paying for it. Mm -hmm. I think it's very dangerous for this country. I think we should have learned from Europe, but it seems to me that something like this is inevitable. Sadly, I'm very pessimistic. It's already happening to a huge degree. The book is Nanny State, and David, uh, when we look at this uh, idea of the government micromanaging our lives in so many ways, and as we've said, it's already happening, and you detail a lot of that in our book, what happens to us as a culture? What kind of people do we become when we allow our liberty uh, to be removed from our lives in this way? Well, I think we become a dependent culture, but, you know, sometimes we get what we deserve. If we don't care about those liberties, we don't fight for those liberties, we don't, you know, we don't stand up and say this is wrong, um, we're going to lose it. And I think that we've been losing our liberty. Now, you know, people sometimes say to me, this is, you know, these are straw man arguments, they're little piddling laws. Well, yeah, if you take each separately, they're very small, but I think when you pull it all together and take a look at it as a nation... I think it's a, it's a movement of paternalism that, that's invaded almost every level. I mean, any debate we have nowadays, hardly anyone ever mentions freedom of personal responsibility anymore. I think it's very dangerous. Um, and again, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic because politicians are not willing to stand up for the rights of the smoker or the overeater or those kind of things. So, Well, do we get these we situations headed? where you sue the government or you sue a tobacco company uh, for your health problems because you smoked? I mean, those kinds of sort of a litigious society, does that come from this nanny state? Well, it's one of the drivers. I mean, there are a few things. There's this hyper-risk aversion. There's political correctness. And also, there's how litigious we've become. And, um, 
you know, clearly many of the, for instance, in Florida, there are playgrounds that have sign that says, uh, you know, no running on the playground. Now, <laughs> I would hope that this has to do with uh, administrators being scared that they will be sued. Clearly, it's one of the driving forces of this, and I think that's why we need some sort of tort reform. But with Democrats in charge, I don't think that that's forthcoming. You mentioned the Democrats. Let me ask you this, David. Um, with the presidential elections coming up, do you fear um, more of an anti-state under the Democrats or under Republicans? Well, Republicans have not. Uh, they've been a pretty big part of this lately. As so, I'm not. You know, I'm not right. leaving them off the hook at all. I mean, your governor has 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 done some things that are very nannyistic. I think sin taxes and so forth. But I would say that uh, yes, Democrats or people on the left are more inclined to believe that government can make you a better person or protect you from the vagaries of life. So I think yes, the grant nanny state will probably grow if Democrats are in charge. David Harsani has written the book, Nanny State. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks. Uh, Look, we've got some quotes here from the Cato Institute uh, conference they had this year. Here's Mike Tanner talking about big government conservatives in the Republican Party. This new type of conservatism is what Fred Barnes, who, who approves of it, calls big government conservatism. This is a a type of conservatism that thinks that you can use big government for conservative ends. It it is a truly ends-justifies-the-means form of conservatism. It it is a type of government that says that we we have big government, we're always going to have big government, so therefore let us see if we can devise a way of making that government achieve the things that that we want. Pena Harsani mentioned uh, Rick Perry, our current mm-hmm. governor. Do you think this uh, vaccination program, uh, remind our listeners about it, uh, do you think it falls into that category? Well, Texans actually didn't uh, buy this one, and but that was a good thing. But he tried to mandate that the human papillomavirus vaccine be given to every schoolgirl in middle school. And there was a huge outcry. But what this really is, is inoculating people against sin, because the only reason you would need this vaccine is if you were sexually active and then exposed to the human papillomavirus. It's a sexually school transmitted kids. disease. This is school kids. This is little kids. And so, um, you know, this is one of the instances that I'm sure David was referring to when he talked about Governor Perry. Uh, He was roundly condemned for doing so, and uh, we ended up not uh, having this mandate in the state of Texas. But it's one instance of Republicans buying into this whole nanny state agenda. Here's Mike Tanner again on big government conservatives. They have something in common with liberals. Big government conservatives share with contemporary liberals a belief that government can somehow design a, a set of policies, a set of incentives and penalties that can like, make us all behave like Pavlov's dogs. That you know, If we do X, A, we'll get sugar water. We do B, we'll get an electric shock. And, and the result is that we'll all end up behaving in the way that policymakers want us to. All right. Uh, he's saying big government conservatives... Um, have something in common with these liberals, and that is the idea that government is the answer. And I think that's not the American way. The individual is responsible. The family, and that's biblical. The community, the church is responsible. 
volunteer organizations are responsible. When Alex de Tocqueville came to America, he said, what makes this country different? Two things. The volunteer organizations, Americans volunteer and associate and do good things. And the churches, he said, the religious nature of this country is what makes this such a great place. And uh, big government conservatives and big government liberals don't get it. They think the state, and that is a... uh, a communist, socialist kind of an idea, and we need to stay as far away from it as we can. When we come back, a judge in Great Britain has ruled against Al Gore and his movie. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Early this morning, Hurricane Katrina slammed into New Orleans. Is it possible that we should prepare against other threats besides terrorists? From Paramount Classics, Sal Gore comes a film that has shocked audiences everywhere they've seen it. The Arctic is experiencing faster melting. If this were to go, sea level worldwide would go up 20 feet. 20 feet. This is what would happen in Florida. Around Shanghai, home to 40 million people. The area around Calcutta, 60 million. Here's Manhattan, the World Trade Center Memorial would be underwater. Think of the impact of a couple hundred thousand refugees, and then imagine a hundred million. All right, that's enough of that. That's Al Gore. That's the uh, trailer for his movie, The Inconvenient Truth, uh, An Inconvenient Truth. He won an Academy Award Mm -hmm. for this movie, and the same month that he won that award, Penna, uh, the U.N.'s IPCC committee, the International Planetary Climate Change Study Group, said uh, not 20 feet, Al Gore, 5 to 17 inches maximum, a maximum of 17 inches, not 20 feet. So you're on safe territory, New York City, safe territory, uh, Florida. And there's amazing development in the U.K., um, a judge... Stuart Dimmock said the U.S. Vice President's documentary, An Inconvenient Truth, is unfit for schools because it is politically biased and contains serious scientific inaccuracies and sentimental mush. 
So what's going to happen, Penna, is these schools have to give a warning. If they're going to show this and it's mandatory, they've got to give a warning that this is uh, propaganda and it's not scientifically accurate or they have to provide some kind of equal time or rebuttal. I think this is very interesting. Well, it's very good to finally see that uh, he's being challenged. And, uh, you know, several meteorologists in, in this country have challenged him and have challenged this whole dogma of global warming. Uh, a CNN meteorologist was actually applauding this particular ruling in Great Britain. And uh, he is Rob Marciano. Here he is. The case stems from a father who accused the government of brainwashing kids with propaganda by showing Gore's film in the classroom. Schools may have to issue a warning before they show students the controversial movie about global warming. Finally, finally, somebody. So, come. You, so you don't agree? Oh, there are definitely some inaccuracies. And, you know, the Oscars, they give out awards for fictional films as well. Well, the biggest thing I have a problem with is his, his implication that Katrina was caused by global warming. And there's a number of studies that have been out, and they're really the jury's still out. Global warming does not conclusively cause stronger hurricanes like we've seen. All right. Uh, that is interesting because Katrina occurred in 2005. Gore acted like this was part of global warming. And he said, oh, it's going to get worse. In 2006, not one hurricane hit the United mm -hmm. States or really anywhere else with devastation. And so far, we're in 2007, and it's looking pretty good in 2007 as well. And there were other factual problems with this movie. And, you know, uh, there's also a group called the Heartland Institute in Chicago who has been trying and trying and trying to get Al Gore to debate uh, one of the scientists who is more of a skeptic of global warming. For instance, Fred Singer, who is an expert, Dennis Avery, an economist. Uh, these people want to debate him, and uh, this organization, the Heartland Institute, has spent $700,000 on ads to try to get Al Gore to come and debate. He won't. Now, his spokespeople say the reason is because global warming is a settled issue, but it's far from it. And now we see this decision coming out of Great Britain really, you know, questioning the veracity of this movie that is so inconveniently named An Inconvenient Truth. You know, when people keep saying it's a settled issue, when people keep saying no reputable scientists uh, disagree, when people keep saying, oh, there's a consensus, uh, when they keep saying that and feeling like they have to say that, what that means is there's not a consensus. Mm -hmm. When this CNN meteorologist, Rob Marciano, clapped his hands, we just heard the sound. He's like, uh, that's finally. Unprepared, unprompted. Who would have known that at CNN, a meteorologist thought this movie was bogus? And he just spontaneously says it's wrong. What he says about Katrina is wrong, and there are other scientific inaccuracies. So you don't have to go far and wide to find these people. We've had a half dozen experts mm -hmm. on this program from the University of Alabama and elsewhere. And this book, you've mentioned Fred Singer and Dennis Avery. I've got the book in my hand, Unstoppable global warming every 1,500 years. And what they show, and we've <laughs> talked about this on the program before, is that this is cyclical, and it probably has to do with the sun, and uh, uh, it may have to do with the Gulf Stream, and there may be other issues that uh, I'm certainly not up on. But in essence, this is a cycle. It's a cycle, a 1,000 or 1,500-year cycle. And we've talked about the global cooling period that ended about 1500 and since then we've been in a warming cycle but um, this is really a great book um, they document here in this book that there are over 300 credentialed scientists 
who've done peer-reviewed studies. That is, they're in academic journals uh, that are uh, reviewed by other scientists, meteorologists, climatologists, over 300 peer-reviewed articles which document that the sun, not human activity, the sun is the cause for these kinds of fluctuations. One of the um, fallacies in Gore's movie was was this. Uh, he goes to the NASA statistics that uh, nine of the ten hottest years have been in the last 10 years. And we just saw last month that NASA backtracked on that, and they said actually four or five of those dates don't belong in the last 10 years. And the hottest year on record that we have is not in the 1980s or the 1990s or the 2000s. It's 1934. What do you think of that? Well, you know, it's no wonder that Al Gore is afraid to debate these guys because they're starting to get the facts, or they've had the facts for a long time, but the facts are starting to get sort of a critical mass now. And I think it would be, he's trying to start a movement, and he's been successful to some degree to get, a, you know, an international movement that really would control the world economy and control the economy of nations. And, you know, I'm just hoping that before, and if the Democrats and uh, the Hillary Clinton types do get in control of the White House, and if the global warming proponents are in control of the Congress, I hope more of the science gets out before that happens. Otherwise, we are going mm. to have a massive mm. government uh, sort of taxation, carbon tax system uh, based on this bad science. You know, this show is about the Christian worldview, and I've always thought that was an interesting passage at the end of uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. He talks about science falsely so-called. It could be philosophy so- falsely so-called or knowledge falsely so-called, but uh, you do have that kind of a thing here in uh, Al Gore's Inconvenient mm-hmm. Truth. Uh, so much of it is a lie, and people are panicking because of it. Uh, let me preview that uh, around October 18th, I think on October 18th, we have uh, controversial conservative author Ann Coulter, who will be on the Jerry Johnson Life program. Be looking forward to that. We'll get delay back. He's been on two or three times before. Too many of you called. I shouldn't have opened up the phones, but that's sort of the way it goes on live radio. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Pentadexter. Remember this. Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think Christianly. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.